When I was 10 years old, <clears throat> I experienced the most stressful time of my life um, up till 10. Uh, I had more stressful things after that, but as a 10-year-old, this was the most stressful thing I'd ever been through. I tried out for Little League Baseball. Um, and the way it worked in where I grew up, there was a major league, there was a minor league, 10, 11, and 12-year-olds. This was for boys at this time. Girls weren't allowed to play, so it wasn't my rule. That's just the way it was. So, uh, but there's only two 10-year-olds that made each team. <clears throat> so I knew during, during this tryout, there was an incredible amount of pressure on me because I had to make the team. I really wanted to make the team. So I knew, first of all, that I had to look like a ball player. So I had my no name brand hat on, which everybody wore back then. I had my wooden Louisville slugger bat. I had my glove, which is merely a replica, okay? And you're saying, that's a really small glove. Well, remember, I was only 10. So, um, and I had my ball. And um, I had my official jersey. For some reason, my dad told me to wear red. Um, and this is, of course, the official jersey for the Ohio State Buckeyes, okay? Not my team, um, not, maybe not your team, but anyway, um, so I look like a ball player. I look tough. And <clears throat> I also knew that I had to play really well, because there was men walking around, middle-aged men with clipboards making little marks all the time, and they were going, hmm. Or they were going, hmm, like that. And they were making little check marks in their boxes. And uh, by day, these middle-aged men were bankers and salesmen and engineers. And, but right now, they were my judges. And they were evaluating me. So I knew I had to get this right. Um, and i got to be honest, that day, I was on fire. I was snagging grounders. I was catching fly balls. I was playing, as, we, as I used to say when I used to be an athlete, I was in the zone. I was playing out of my head. And I made the major leagues. Uh, I also found out my dad was on the board, so that might have had something to do with it too. But, <clears throat> but I'd like to think it was all up to me. I, I was on top of my game and I made it. Now, I want you to keep that image in mind, Little League Baseball. You have to get it right. You have to look right, you have to do it right, because that's an image for how many of us approach the spiritual life, Christianity, religion, or if you don't consider yourself a religious person this morning, it's the way many people approach being a moral person, being a good person, being a decent person. It is what I'll call the little league way. It's the way that is up to you to get it right. Now, in the passage that we heard read from Romans 3, um, this passage assumes that most people, most of the time, follow the Little League way, or try to follow the Little League way to get right with God, or to be a good person, or to be a good Christian, or whatever words you want to put on that. But we're going to see in this passage that this passage offers a new way an alternative way, a revolutionary, liberating new way. And I'm going to call that way, just for simplicity, the way of the gift. And that looks like this. We just come with open hands. We really have nothing to bring in terms of our own salvation, 
our own justification. We come with open hands and we receive the gift that the triune God wants to offer us. So I want to invite you to turn to this passage because it's a really dense passage. It's a really tough passage to work through. It's a really tight argument. And I want to walk through this together with you. And as we do, I want to look at three questions. And the first one is, what is justification by faith? What does that mean? And the second question is, how does it work? And then the third question is, what difference does it make? So the first question is, what is justification by faith? Now, obviously, you won't find the Little League way in this passage, but that's my word for it. But there are various terms that talk about the Little League way in this passage. Notice, for instance, in verse 27, it talks about a law of works. And in verse 28, it talks about works of the law. The same thing. What does that mean? Well, that means that the works of the law means that there are certain laws and you have to work those laws. You have to keep those laws or you have to avoid from breaking the negative laws, but the pressure is on you, like the Little League way, to get it right. It's up to you. What is the law? What does that mean? Well, it means two things in this passage. And first of all, it means the law refers to everything in the Scripture as Christians interpret it through the life of Jesus, the teachings of Jesus, through the traditional teachings of the church. It is the law of what the Bible says. It is the law of you should love God with your whole heart and mind. You should be kind to people. Jesus said you should love your enemies. You should pray for them. You should fast every once in a while. You should not break the Ten Commandments. You should not commit adultery. You should abstain from sexual immorality. That is the law of God. That is the law with a capital L. But there's also what... Uh, what I would call a law with a small L. And we see that in Romans chapter 2 because there's a law that is written on the human heart. There's a law deep in our conscience that all of us obey, whether it's atheists or Christians or Buddhists or Muslims, secular people, religious people, irreligious people. Every human being lives under a system of laws. It could be Anytime you say, I should do this, or I should be this kind of person, or I need to be better at that, or I, I need to do this, that is a law spirit. And the Little League way is all about getting those laws right within ourselves. You justify yourself by how you keep the law. Now, the word justification... It's not a word we throw around a lot, but you'll notice in this passage, it's a really important word. It, it, it occurs four times in this passage, verses 24, verse 26, verse 28, verse 30, and then as you continue to read through chapter 4 and chapter 5, you'll see the word justify or justification all over the place. It's a really important word at the heart of the gospel message of Jesus Christ. But I also want us to know it's not just a religious word. It's not just something Christians believe in or the Bible talks about because justification, trying to justify ourselves by the works of the law, is something that we do all the time. We're constantly in the process of trying to justify ourselves. And as an example, I'd like you to consider a famous theologian, 
uh, Rocky Balboa. And uh, in the first Rocky film, uh, which just was the best, and they, they, but they're all good. But anyway, the first Rocky film, you know, he's fighting Apollo Creed, who is unstoppable, unbeatable, undefeated. And they're in this boxing match. And um, Rocky's trying to explain to his, was then his girlfriend, Adrian, why he has to fight Apollo Creed. Because she's afraid he's going to get killed. And Rocky says... I got to fight Apollo Creed because nobody's ever gone the distance against Apollo Creed. He doesn't even want to win. He just wants to go the distance. He says, nobody's ever gone the distance against Apollo Creed. And if I can go the distance against Apollo Creed, I will prove that I'm not just another bum from the neighborhood. That's a great definition of what it means to justify yourself. Take a sentence. I need to have or I need to do or I need to be blank, or I'm just another bum from the neighborhood. What would you put in the blank? Would it have something to do with your career? Would it have something to do with your family? Would it have something to do with your musical ability, your academic ability, your athletic abilities? A lot of people in our culture especially 30, 40, 50s range, try to justify themselves through their children. If my children behave badly, if they have problems, then I feel like I'm a bum. I haven't proven myself. A lot of people try to justify themselves through religion. Religion is a huge self-justifying category of our lives. If I just get it right, if I get the, the, the songs right, if I get the mood right, if I feel right, if I feel like I have just an incredible amount of faith and I just see all these people that they seem to have so much faith and they seem to have it together and, and just first of all, probably everybody else is thinking the same thing here, but, but you might think you're the only one that doesn't have it together and you think if I could just get it together, I, could, I would be justified. I wouldn't be just another bum. That is the process of self-justification. Now, there's a problem with this. Verse 23, it says this, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That is everyone. No exceptions. And the Greek word there, as you may, have, may know, is a picture of archery, of an arrow falling short of the target. And you might think, well... I'm getting pretty close. I mean, I'm pretty close to the bullseye. And this verse says, no, you're not. You didn't even hit the target. You fell short of the target. You see, we like to like, divide the world into two kinds of people. We draw a line, and we say, on this side are the good people, and on this side are the bad people. And you know the funny thing is, no matter where we draw the line, we always somehow wind up on this side of the line. Somehow. You're in an argument with somebody, you're in a disagreement with somebody. Which side of the line are you on? You're always on this side. We always get the good side of the line. Well, this verse says there is no line. There's just one thing, one category of people. People who have missed the mark. No exceptions. We're all part of that. And now we're getting ready for verse 21. The first two words of this passage. The first two words are, but now. 
but now is announcing that there is something completely different than this little league way to get right with God that it's all up to you the works of the law but now it says the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law now that's a radical statement in the development of religious thought apart from the law the righteousness of God has been revealed you can get right with God apart from the law apart from getting your act together look at verse 24 yes it's a free gift and we are justified get that word justified we're not self-justified we are justified by the grace of Jesus as a gift through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ that is the way of the gift we come with empty hands and he gives us the gift of justification now justification it gets even better than that because justification includes forgiveness but it's even more than that it's a bigger concept than that if you read through Romans chapter 3 to 8 talks a lot about forgiveness but it also talks about something else we have a new status in our relationship with Christ we are now sons and daughters we have now been buried with Christ we have now been raised with Christ we now have the Spirit of God in us we have a whole new status let me picture it this way it's a very imperfect illustration very earthy illustration but let's just picture your spiritual life like this you're in a race you're in a marathon race okay this is a spiritual marathon race so if you're a real marathoner this is a race you're not gonna be good at okay so you are in the race it's you versus Jesus okay gun goes off Jesus is finishes the race in like seven seconds okay 26.2 miles <laughs> runs the course perfectly I mean he could have finished in zero seconds since he's above time but he, he just takes seven seconds because that's a really good number so he finishes in seven seconds you cross the finish line oh maybe 50 years later had a lot of detours a lot of problems on the way you fell down a lot you got distracted a lot your focus got just all distorted you had to spend some time breaking the Ten Commandments along the way every one of them multiple times you straggle in you get to the finish line you're finally there and there's Jesus and he's already up on the pedestal the winner's circle the Olympic gold medal pedestal and he's got the gold medal around his neck and everybody's looking at Jesus and you look at him and go oh man I am such a bad Christian I will never look anything like that and you're ashamed you're bruised you're weary you're tired you did not give it your best shot you missed the mark and then Jesus is up on the podium and he motions to you hey you yeah you you come on over here come on over here and you're going what what and so you walk over there Jesus says, hey, come on up here come up here me up there with you yeah come up here come up on the podium and you come up on the podium and the winner's podium with him he puts his arm around you he says rough race huh and you go yeah I didn't do very well did I Lord and he goes well not really but you're forgiven every single detour every single slip every single wrong turn you're forgiven oh, my mercy I give you my mercy and then he takes that gold medal and he kind of 
hooks it around both of you at the same time, so you share the gold medal, and you now have the status of Jesus. You are united with him in his resurrection victory. Again, that's a very imperfect picture. But that is a little bit of the feeling of what it means for justification by faith. That you're not just forgiven, you also receive a new status. Now, I want us to understand this is a really radical concept in religious systems. To say that you're justified apart from the law. Most religions, at least to a degree, often to a large degree, say you work it out. You get it together and then God will accept you. But the gospel says, no, God accepts you in Christ. You're justified freely as a gift. Now, work it out. But that first part of the sentence never goes away. That's always there. That's the engine that drives everything. That is justification by faith. Second thing is, how does it work? Because at this point, you should be saying, you know, that just sounds too easy. Seems like there's got to be a catch. There's got to be a hook. <clears throat> and I'll say, yeah, there is. There's a catch. There's a hook. God pays the catch. God swallows the hook. Let me explain what I mean by that. Look at verses 25 to 26. It says this, whom God, talking about Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood, that's just talking about the cross of Jesus where he died on the cross, to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins it was to show his righteousness at the present time so that God might be just and justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So this is answering a really big question. How can God be just? How can he be a judge? How can he be moral? How can he be holy? How can he uphold the law and at the same time be over here and justify sinners who have fallen short of that law? God, you can't do both. Humanly speaking, you cannot do both. You have to do one or the other. And the answer is, the shorter answer is, the cross of Christ. The long answer is this word propitiation, which is another really long, complex word that you have probably not used in a sentence since the last week. So let me unpack what, what the Bible means, what this word means when it talks about propitiation. Propitiation, and I've got I to admit, propitiation is not near as much fun to explain as justification. Propitiation is a little more great on our ears just because of our cultural context. It's a little harder for us to get this, but it's just as important a word of justification. What does propitiation mean? It means, simply put, to appease, to satisfy the wrath or the anger of somebody else. Now you're thinking, well, God is angry? God is wrathful? I just thought you said he's just so accepting and loving and all this kind of stuff and God the Father and... And Jesus, that's not Jesus, right? Well, what did you hear in the gospel today? Jesus, I didn't come to the earth to bring peace. I came to bring a sword. I mean, wrath is something about the nature of God. Why is God angry? Well, when God looks at this mess of humanity that we are, and remember, there's no line. We're all in this mess together. God looks at this broken mess. And to God, to us, it's maybe sometimes, that's not that big a deal. It's just us. This is just the way we are. We're just humans. It's just, we just screw up a lot. That's us. You know, but God looks at it, and it's more like God sees this cancer at work in the human race. Or it's like God looks at us, and it's like a loved one looking at somebody that's struggling with an addiction, whether it's a heroin addiction or alcohol addiction or whatever. God looks at, like, the, the beloved looking at his beloved who has the addiction, and, 
At that point, you don't need tolerance. You don't need easygoing, kind of like, hey, it's okay, boys will be boys, just sweep it under the rug. You need somebody that's going to go, no, that cancer's got to come out. That, that, that addiction's got to get healed. You need somebody with wrath. You need somebody, because biblically speaking, the opposite of God's love is indifference. God doesn't care. God just lets the world go to hell, literally. And God's not going to do that. Wrath is the flip side of his love, his holy wrath. And we might say, well, okay, then bring on the wrath. Let's bring it on. Let's clean up the cancer. Let's get rid of the addiction. The problem is we're part of the cancer. We're part of the addiction. We're part of the problem. We're part of the mess. So how is God going to get this done? Well, again, the short answer is the cross. That is how God is the just and the justifier at the same time. Remember verse 25? It said this, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. In other words, Christ was put forward. You say, well, what? Wait a minute. Now, so God the Father just like laid all the problem on Jesus the Son? Oh, no. It doesn't work that way. That's not what Christians believe. Because Christians believe that Jesus Christ is the second person of the Trinity. Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. So when it talks about propitiation, God is propitiating his wrath by taking it upon himself. So we don't have to bear it. God absorbs the wrath, his righteous wrath. He takes it. He absorbs it so he can be just and he can be the one that justifies at the same time. Let me give you a picture of what this looks like. I was talking to a friend of mine uh, from Long Island when I was living on Long Island, um, a friend named Dave. And uh, Dave, by his own admission, was not a follower of Jesus. His wife was, um, so he, he came to church every once in a while, and we had a friendship. And so we were talking one day and, and had a long conversation. Towards the end of the conversation, he said, you know, one of the things I just don't get about Christianity is why Jesus had to die on the cross. I mean, what is that? That just seems bizarre to me. That seems really weird. And <clears throat> I was thinking about how to explain this to Dave, and I remember that about a week before, Dave had told a story to me about a true story when he was going down the steps with his daughter. His daughter was about six years old at the time. Dave's a pretty, good, pretty big guy, so he kind of had her loosely holding her like this. And they were going down the stairs, and Dave said he, he got, his foot got caught on the carpet or something, and he started, he started to wobble, and he thought he was going to fall down the stairs. And he said, instantly, spontaneously, without thinking, I wrapped myself around my daughter, and I prepared to take the fall for her. He said, somehow, I bumped into the wall, I regained my balance, and we didn't fall. But he said, in that split second, he said, I'm not a great dad sometimes. I can be really selfish. But in that split second, I knew what love required. I would take the fall for my daughter. So Dave's telling me, I don't get the cross. And I go, uh, Dave, remember that time with your daughter when you were willing to take the fall for her? When you were willing to absorb the pain? That's what love does. When you love somebody, especially when that person is weak 
and vulnerable and dependent upon you, you will do that for the person. That's what God did for us on the cross. Again, it wasn't like God is one thing over here and Jesus is one thing over here. No. There's perfect union, perfect intimacy between Father and Son, one God, Jesus, God in the flesh. John Stott put it this way. It is God himself who in holy wrath needs to be propitiated. God himself in holy love who undertook the propitiating. And God himself who in the person of his son died for the propitiation of our sins. In other words, God absorbed it for us. That's how justification works. Now let me ask the last question. What difference does this make? And people say, well, wow, this is great. Now I can live any way I want. And I would say, you don't get justification by faith. You have not experienced it. You don't really believe it. Because if that's the way you thought, you have not really accepted the message of justification by faith. Because the whole Christian life, as we say so often around here, is a journey of transformation. It's a journey of spiritual growth. It's a journey of virtue. It is a journey of putting on the virtues of Christ. It's, it's putting on the right clothing of Christ. And it is a long process filled with a lot of failure and a lot of struggle. But it is growth in virtue. But justification by faith is the engine that drives the whole thing. And we keep coming back to it. We don't like go through it and move on to better and deeper things in the spiritual life. No, that's our foundation. We keep coming back to it. But let me just suggest two really practical ways that makes a difference. And number one is, the first one may surprise you, it changes our relationship with people. There's an ethical, social dimension to justification by faith. In particular, all forms of self-righteousness in our interpersonal relationships get killed. They die. They are excluded. Verse 27 says this, what then becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. What is boasting talking about? That's boasting, I got it together. I did it right. I did the little league right. I made the major leagues. Why can't you get your act together? All of that is killed at the cross of Christ. And I would even take it one step further. It also obliterates all social forms of self-righteousness, communal forms of self-righteousness in terms of racism, in terms of ethnocentrism, in terms of referring one culture above another? And you say, where do you get that from the passage? Well, look at verses 29 and 30. Is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of the Gentiles? Yes, of Gentiles also, since God is the one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. The Jews and the Gentiles were people from radically different cultures that did not really have anything to do with each other. They didn't eat together. They didn't have friendships across cultural lines. And this verse is saying, no, Justification by faith with God leads to reconciliation with others across cultural lines. Jews and Gentiles, there's nothing more radical than that. So why not whites and African Americans? Why not Irish and Rwandans? Why not Germans and Latinos? The ground at the cross is truly level. And that desire to bridge cultures is something that flows from the heart of the gospel. It flows from justification by faith. And we have six Latino con congregations in our own diocese. This is an incredible, exciting opportunity for us. 
So I would say, I could say, get your act together and come to Kaminemus Yuntos and prove and justify that you're a really good Christian, but I can't say that. But Kaminemus Yuntos is coming up at the end of July, and it'd be great as a justified person if you come to that. So I'll tell you that. Second thing, it changes our relationship with God. I've had a lot of conversations with people over 25 years, and a lot of conversations about spiritual things, and I think the biggest misconception is that people really think Christianity is all about the Little League way. It's all about, and by that I mean, I don't mean just putting on virtue. I mean, it's up to me to get it right. It's up to me to feel the balls. It's up to me to make the hits. And God will help out a little bit, but most of it depends on me. Or at least a really crucial, essential part depends on me. God, Christ, what he did was not good enough, and I need to add to it. I need to make sure it works. And so we continue to try to justify ourselves. And I would say whether you consider yourself a Christian today or you consider yourself a religious person, a spiritual person, or you're, not a, you're an irreligious person, the message for all of us is the same. And, and I'd like us to get this image in mind because it's like in this passage, aside from the big words justification, propitiation, works of the law, and all that kind of abstract stuff, there's just a really concrete picture in this passage, a really simple concrete picture. And that is Jesus is standing here and he's offering us a gift. It is the free gift of justification by faith. Forgiveness, a new status, a new life, a new relationship, a new identity. And he's inviting us to step into that. And in light of that, what are we going to do? Are we going to run around and say, oh, I got to get my hat on, I got to get my clothes on, I got to get it right, I got to make the catch, I got to hit the ball, I got to do it all right? No. Then you won't be able to receive the gift. You're missing it. See, if you're a Christian today, and you still feel like you're, you're under this burden of the works of the law, like it's up to you to get it right. That is a setup for depression, anxiety, um, not enjoying, not walking in the joy of the Lord. And I invite you this morning to receive the way of the gift. If you're not a believer this morning, you know, if you reject Christianity, I just want to make sure you know what you're rejecting because it's not the works of the law. It's the gift that Christ is offering. And we have a very powerful thing that we do here every Sunday, which is one of the reasons why I, I love this church and I love being here is we celebrate the Eucharist every Sunday. And you'll notice how you come for the Eucharist. There's really, there's only one way to come. You come like this. It's the only way to receive it. You can't bring anything else in your hand or it'll be a distraction. You come, you physically, in an embodied way, we practice the way of the gift. We live out the way of the gift. May that be true in your heart and your soul that you wouldn't follow the Little League way, but the way of the gift would become more and more your life, the way you live with God. Amen.